0: in Hi, guys. Um, hello. Do we have any, uh, avid readers in the room? Oh, yes. Okay. Yes, we do. Yes. Yeah, we do. I am with you. I am also, I love to read. Eddie, not so much, loves to read. <laughs> but he's read a lot more since we've been married, I will say. I've also read a lot more since we've been married, I feel like. But, um, so, because there's like so many good books out there, I particularly love fiction books. And there's so many, and there are always is coming out more, especially I love historical fiction. Yeah, mm hmm. And so I feel like I don't reread books very often because there's so many good new ones. <laughs> And so I have friends who, like, reread the same book a certain time of every year and revisit it. And I just think that is a beautiful tradition, but I have a really hard time. (laughs) I have a really hard time with it because I just love to keep reading the new things. Um, But there is this author. Her name is Kate Morton yes Um, if you don't know her and you love fiction I highly recommend anything by her she's very good Uh, but she has a book called The Lake House not to be confused with the horrible movie with Sandra Bullock and Keanu Reeves (laughs) not the same I always get asked that when I tell people it's my favorite book not the same Um, this book The Lake House and it is one of the few books that I have reread and what was fascinating to me when I did reread it it had been a couple years but I remember that I loved the ending, but I, as I was rereading it, I was like, I don't, I don't remember what it is, and I don't remember how she gets me there, which was like super fun. So I was reading the same content, right? The book doesn't change, but I had changed, and I was reading in a different season, so I had different lenses on it, different, you know, things popping out at me when I read it, and that's kind of what we're going to do tonight, but like in a smaller scale. So we are going to talk about my most favorite story in the whole Bible. Um, and it's told three different times. It's told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's not told in John. Uh, but each time that it's told, we kind of get that, you know, different angle. We get a little more perspective into the, the fullness of the story in each narration. And as we go through that, what we'll discover through, those, through the story is that God is worthy of our response, And that's what I want to talk about tonight. God is worthy of our response. And in parallel to that, we're going to see some things regarding how we can worship and respond to the Lord in worship. So before we get into the word, I just want to pray over us tonight. Father, I just, oh, I'm so grateful. Thank you for every person that's here. God, we never take it for granted. Um, that you have this space for us, and Father, for um, getting to have NOIA, Lord, we're just so grateful, and I thank you for each and every person that has come into this space, whether it's their first time or they've been coming for a while. Father, I pray that you would just prepare their hearts. I pray that you would let the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, Lord, and Father, that you would just move in this place. Holy Spirit, you are clearly here, and uh, we've already enjoyed worshiping you together. So, Fathers, we continue to worship you by learning more about who you are and uh, the things that you have done in your word and the testimony. God, would you just bless this time and be in this place, Lord. We just love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Okay, so just to give a little bit of context where we are in the Gospels and in the ministry of Jesus, what has just happened is Jesus was in the boat with his disciples And he calms the storm and he calms the water. And then shortly after that, uh, he is confronted with this man who's demon-possessed. And this is the story where when he calls out the demons, the demons plead with him to be put into a herd of pigs, which is, like, very alarming. (laughs) Like, that scene to me just feels very alarming. But (laughs) it's awesome because Jesus delivered the man. And then the herd of pigs then go off of the cliff then after that is where we are now. And so that has just happened and Jesus and his disciples get back in the boat and they cross the lake over back to the Galilean side. So if you'll turn with me, if you have your Bible, we're gonna be starting with the first account of this story which is in Matthew chapter nine and we'll have it on the screen if you don't have your Bible. So when Jesus crosses the lake, there's a crowd waiting for him Because his popularity has grown from doing things like what he just did for that man, these miracles. And so this crowd is waiting for him. And as we start in Matthew 9, chapter, uh, sorry, verse 18, it says, While Jesus was speaking to them, which is the crowd, right, a ruler came and knelt in front of him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and place your hand on her and she'll live. So Jesus and his disciples got up and went with him. Then a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years came up behind Jesus and touched the hem of his clothes. She thought, if I only touch his robe, I'll be healed. When Jesus turned and saw her, he said, be encouraged, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that time on. And when Jesus went into the ruler's house, he saw the flute players and the distressed crowd. He said, go away, because the little girl isn't dead, but is asleep. But they laughed at him. After he sent them away, Jesus went in and touched her hand, and the little girl rose up. News about this spread throughout the whole region. So in Matthew's account, what we are going to learn from him is that God is firstly worthy of a generous response so Matthew is the most condensed version of the story that we're gonna read out of the three and even in its brevity I think what's really clear is the desperation that these two characters that we've met come to Jesus with the man Jairus is his name we'll come to find out later he's a ruler in the synagogue so he's a religious ruler And he comes to Jesus desperate for him to heal his daughter who's on her deathbed. And then we meet the woman, and she's been bleeding for 12 years, and she comes obviously with a desperation for Jesus to heal her from her condition. And Jesus, when he encounters their desperation, he responds to them with generosity. And what I mean by that is, for example, with Jairus, he gives him a generosity of time. So he's with this massive crowd that are all like smooshed together. We'll, we'll come to find out some more language about how it's talked about, but it's a lot of people. And he takes time to hear Jairus' story and he takes time to go with him to his house and then to heal his daughter. It's pretty amazing the time that he gives him. He's very generous with his time. And then for the woman, he's generous with his affection so again, there's this crowd of people. He just told Jairus, like, hey, okay, I'm, I'm on the assignment for you. And here she comes. And when he turns to her, he sees her, which we've talked about this is, like, really remarkable in the culture. So he sees her, he heals her, and then he encourages her, he speaks to her. So he's generous with his affection. And what I want us to see in Jesus' response in that generosity is that God's heart is for a generosity in relationship with him he wants his people he wants people to have a generous relationship with him he is generous to us but he wants a response from us in turn of generosity and i think we think of generosity a lot of times really we kind of like stick it only in the money category which you know there's a lot of really good scriptures and important things that the bible has to say about being generous with our money But there's a lot of other ways that generosity can be evidenced in our worship to God. So one of the ways, for example, that I think of that is with Jairus and the woman, they extend, in response to Jesus, they extend to him a generosity of belief. So they, like, don't really know him. They hear about him. They hear about the things that he's done. And in their desperation, they decide, I'm going to put all my chips in this basket. Like, if it's not him it's over so I'm gonna put all my chips and I believe that he's who he says he is and I'm gonna risk everything and I'm gonna go there and I'm gonna put that belief in him for the healing that I need and then also I see a generosity of self so Jairus we talked about he's a ruler he's a synagogue ruler so he's a religious ruler and he kneels before Jesus right so in and of that self there's a generosity of humility because he is of self through humility because he's positioning himself in a way that says you are God and I am not and I need your help and so he kneels before him so that's even already an act of humility but then on top of that this kneeling is a movement toward God so he's putting himself and giving himself to God in that moment and in the same way the woman she has to make her way through this whole crowd, in her condition, super vulnerable, and super willing. So when she makes her way through the crowd, she's already making that movement toward God as well. But then she reaches out to Jesus, reaches out to his clothes to be healed. And in that vulnerability, she's, she is putting herself out there. Like that is one of the most displays of generousness of self that I can think of. So she puts herself on display so that she can receive the generosity of God. So when we think about how we can grow as worshipers of God, I think we can ask ourselves, how can I enter better into this generosity, this communion of generosity with God? How can I acknowledge God's generosity to me and then in turn extend myself, my willingness, my vulnerability, my desperation, all of those things back to God? And am I moving towards God without holding back? Because when God talks about worship in scripture, he does not portray it like a lot of times I think we sort of walk in, which is this internal, it's emotional, it's spiritual, it's this exchange between me and God right here in this space, right? When he talks about worship in scripture, he actually uses, and Eddie referenced this, and Kyle referenced this earlier, he uses a lot of language of action. So, can you guys think of, shout out some words that are like physical actions of worship that you know in scripture. Kneel. Clap. Service. Yeah, that's a good one. Singing. Dancing. Yes. What else? Jumping is in scripture. Playing an instrument. What else? Hand raising. That's a big one. (laughs) Shafaring, very good, that's its own category, yep, Mm -hmm. very good, (laughs) any other ones? Yeah, and there's actually, there's words in scripture that are sort of general, they speak about how it's important to move and extend movement to God in worship, but it doesn't even necessarily give a specific way of doing that, so he just wants our movement, that's important to him, so I think that alone is enough of a reason, right? If we want to worship God the way that God wants to be worshiped, and he tells us those things in scripture, that would be enough of a reason to do those things, don't you think? To clap, raise hands, jump, dance, to extend that movement towards God. But I think that um, another reason that that's important, to include our physical representation of worship, and not just emotional, mental, spiritual, is because when we worship with our body, it's like a physical representation of the chains breaking. It could be the chains breaking that moment. It could be the chains that you're praying in faith that God would break. It's, you know, the chains that you're praying in faith for somebody else, or maybe even just praising God for the chains you already broke. I mean, just it's salvation alone, right? And so it's important for God to see that we are all in. We're all in with our body, we're all in with our heart, we're all in with our mind. Because if you want something different to happen to your soul when you worship, then you need to worship God with your whole self generously. The holistic you. That's what God wants. So God is worthy of this generous response. But secondly, he's also, he's worthy of a public response. And this is what we're going to talk about in Mark. If you want to flip over to, to that with me, we're going to Mark 5. And we're going to start in verse 21, and this is the chapter where we're going to get a lot more information about the people and what happens that day. So it starts in verse 21. Jesus crossed the lake again, and on the other side was a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. G- uh, <laughs> Jesus, Jairus, one of the synagogue leaders, came forward. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded with him. My daughter is about to die. Please come and place your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A swarm of people were following Jesus, crowding in on him. A woman was there who had been bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a lot under the care of many doctors and had spent everything she had without getting any better. In fact, she had gotten worse. Because she had heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothes. She was thinking, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Her bleeding stopped immediately. And she sensed in her body that the illness had been healed. At that very moment, Jesus recognized that the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, Don't you see the crowd pressing around you, yet you ask, who touched me?" But Jesus looked carefully to see who had done it. The woman, full of fear and trembling, came forward. Knowing what had happened to her, she fell down in front of Jesus and told him the whole truth. He responded to her, "'Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace, healed from your disease.'" While Jesus was still speaking with her, messengers came from the synagogue leader's house, saying to Jairus, "Your daughter has died. Why bother the teacher any longer?" But Jesus overheard their report and said to, the, said to Jairus, "Don't be afraid. Just keep trusting." He didn't allow anyone to follow him except Peter, James and John, James's brother. When they came to Jairus' house and saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly, He went in and said to them, what is all this commotion and crying about? The child isn't dead. She's only sleeping. They laughed at him, but he threw them all out. (laughs) Yes, Lord. (laughs) Then, (laughs) taking the child's parents (laughs) and his disciples with him, he went to the room where the child was. Taking her hand, he said to her, Talitha Kaum, which means, young woman, get up suddenly the young woman got up and began to walk around she was 12 years old they were shocked he gave them strict orders that no one should know what had happened then he told them to give her something to eat it never gets lost on me in this story the details that god chooses to share and the details he chooses not to share And what it shows to me is that the details of our lives are super important and every person's story is important. So as we get to know this woman a little bit better, just for clarity's sake, I want to mention that this bleeding that she's experiencing is not because she has like a gash in her leg that continues to bleed or that she incurred some injury, but this is a reproductive organ bleeding, the female bleeding that she's experiencing. And because she has been bleeding for 12 years, she, when we meet her here, she's anemic. She's in a super weakened condition. She's not living well because she's giving all of, given all of her money to try to find answers. And then on top of that, because of her hemorrhaging, she would have been considered ceremonially unclean by the law. And what that means is she wouldn't have had any social or religious interaction or involvement. She would have been restricted from the temple, even in the women's section of the temple, she would have been restricted. And when she went in public, she would have had to announce to those around her that she was unclean. So not only is she unwell, but she's alone. So when we think about the woman and her uncleanness and in her condition, and then we think about Jairus' daughter, who's on her deathbed, right? in the world's perspective, they're beyond help, right? They're a lost cause. Like everything's been tried, all the doctors have been called, this is it, this is the end. And my f- one of my most favorite things about this story is that though we don't know their names, right? We don't know these women's names. We really only know like their condition and some of what they're suffering. But what God gives us insight into is two 12-year journeys. So if we think about Jairus' daughter, she's a 12-year-old girl. And she's experienced a lot of firsts. She had the first time she blew out her diaper. The first time she started to walk. She had the first time she made a friend. The first time that she let a friend down. The first time in this culture that she's learning the Torah. The first time she gets to experience uh, Jewish traditions. The first time that she gets to do something that she's really proud of. A lot can happen in 12 years, right? There's a lot of life. We have a nine year old daughter, and there's a lot of life that's happened in nine years. And while she's experiencing all of her firsts, there's a woman in her town that lives somewhere nearby that has been experiencing all of her lasts. The last time she could go to church. The last time that she could remember somebody holding her hand. The last time that she could pay her rent. The last time she could see a doctor. The last time she could pay the doctor. The last time that she could go out in public without having to announce to everyone around her her shameful condition. And, (laughs) it gets me every time. And in the intersection of 12 years of firsts and 12 years of lasts is Jesus. He's right there. It's just awesome. And he heals them both. So they have these very different experiences and then Jesus is just like, you're both family now. I healed you both. You're both daughters. And so when Jesus heals the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years and he asks, who touched me? Do you think he did it because he didn't know? Probably not. I mean, scripture says that he looked around carefully to see who was there. But I really believe that there's two things. When he, when he called that out and he asked who it was, he gave a woman who had been unseen, unknown, unheard, unloved for a very long time, the opportunity to be seen and known and heard and loved and healed in front of everyone, right? And on top of that, he gives her the opportunity to testify to what just happened. He gives her the opportunity to give a public response. And so, when we get, again, when we think about us, us growing as worshipers here today, why is testimony so important? It was interesting, when we read the end of Matthew, Jesus Uh, it says that everyone in that region started to know what happened, what Jesus had done, right? It said it had spread through the whole region. But here in Mark and then in Luke, it's going to say that Jesus said, don't tell anybody. But obviously that that didn't happen (laughs) because it was spreading like wildfire. (laughs) Why? And this uh, series that we're doing is called Worthy God, right? And it's based off of that song we sang tonight, Worthy God, which is written by our own Danny Laguna, our worship leader. And in that song, there's a line that says, I cannot contain this testimony of the only God whose name is worthy. Why is it like that? Why is it like it can't be contained? When you see what they saw, When we see what God has done, when we experience the rescue (laughs) that we have experienced, we cannot help but talk about it. We can't help it. And here's the thing, testimony, it encourages others' faith, it encourages our faith, right? Stories from the Bible, testimonies from the Bible, but real life testimonies also, I mean, this is real life, (laughs) real life in the Bible, but also real life today, evidence that God is still moving. When we share our testimony, it's like when we're on this race to the end, right? We're all on the race to the end of life. Scripture gives that example where we're running the race, like we want to finish well. You cannot finish well if you don't have cheerleaders on the side of the race going, this is who God is. This is what he's done. This is what he's done for me. This is what he'll do for you. Because when you start getting slow at the race and you're like, oh my gosh, this is like one of the worst seasons of my life. If you have one person shouting from the side, God's not finished yet. God is not done. Keep going. Keep going. Here's some water. Like, you know, it gives us life. It helps us keep going and not only does testimony encourage our faith but it but it also I lost my place here it is it other it also draws others to god the people on the outside that don't know him yet it draws them to himself and each of us has a unique story that god did for us that god is doing for us that is unique that's different from other people right shelby There's things that God has done for you that when you tell them to me, it adds to my life and my vocabulary and my knowledge something about God that I haven't experienced personally. So now, if I I never experienced that the same, I have that in my box. I have that in my, you know, in my cheerleading side saying this is real. This is who God is. This is what he's done for me, right? And Chase, same for you. You have things that God has done for you that is in your testimony that when you tell them to people, they're gonna be like, that's that's unreal that God would do that for somebody. And that's gonna tell the world and it's gonna tell us in the church that he is who he says he is. And we (laughs) need that so much. And that is true for every one of you in this room. God has done things for us. God is going to do things for us that are only things that he can do. And when we tell each other those things, It encourages our faith and it draws others to God. And if you don't, friends, we are missing out and the world is missing out on some really important things about God that maybe nobody else would tell them. Maybe he hasn't done it in the same way for them as he has for you. But he's always moving and he's always doing things. So my encouragement to you is please do not let fear keep you from telling people about Jesus. Don't let the past that he has freed you from make you insecure to tell people that you are in fact free. And don't let pride get in the way of telling people, I needed rescue, I needed help, (laughs) I was desperate. Because everyone in this world, everyone, knows in the deepest part, in the place that nobody knows, the deepest, darkest part, that they are not okay. And when you share your testimony and when you tell them that Jesus has done these things, it gives them the opportunity to have hope. They have something now to say, well, maybe it's not all like this in the pit that I'm in, in this well. So even if you have to come (laughs) to people in that sharing of the story, like the woman, fear and trembling, (laughs) then by all means do it, even in that way, because we need you to. And when you do, God is glorified in that act of worship. So he is worthy of that generous response in our worship. He's worthy of the public response, our testimony in worship. And now we're going to go over to Luke's account, where we'll see that God is worthy of a faith-filled response. And we're going to Luke chapter 8, but I'm not going to read the whole thing again. I just want to point out the couple of things that are um, additions that are helping us understand the full narrative of the story. So if you start in verse 40, chapter 8 in Luke, again, it's talking about the the crowd and they're waiting for him. And Jairus comes, but this time it says, He pleaded with Jesus to come to his house because his only daughter, a 12-year-old, was dying. So that gives us even more insight into his desperation, right? And what his family dynamic is. This is it. This is his only daughter. And then further on, when we get to verse 50, Jairus has just been told that that only daughter has died. And then Jesus hears that being told to him and and anticipating his hopelessness in that moment. He says, don't be afraid. Just keep trusting. And she will be healed. So in Mark, we don't know that he's told him that promise, but in Luke right now, he just told him. She will be healed. So Jesus, he says to Jairus, just keep trusting, right? Assuming that, Jesus, that Jairus has been trusting. So just keep going. Keep the faith. It's going to happen. And then Jesus told the woman after he, she was healed, he says, You're, you can go. Your faith has healed you, Right? Hebrews 11.1 1 gives us that awesome definition of faith. It says the reality, faith is, the reality of what we hope for, the proof of what we do not see. Isn't it interesting that in a crowd of people on the shore, tons of people bumping into each other and bumping into Jesus, only one woman walked away healed, and one man walked into the healing that he was just promised. What's the difference? Right? Your faith has healed you, and keep trusting. Keep having the faith. And because they had faith, Jesus healed two women in one afternoon, not only showing his love and his goodness, but also his heart for the outcast. So no matter uh, our background, no matter how we were brought up, no matter where we came from, any of our differences, one thing, one of the things that we all have in common in humanity is waiting. Waiting. Right? We all wait. We wait in like the shallow sense, the surface level sense of like waiting in traffic, waiting in, uh, for our friends at a restaurant, waiting in the lines at Disney World, <laughs> which we did in the summertime when you still have to wear masks, and it was not my favorite waiting. <laughs> I can tell you that. We wait a lot. We, we wait more, way more. If you thought about how much you waited in a day, I mean, you probably think about it often, but we wait a lot. We also wait for bigger things. We wait for love. We wait for jobs. We wait for good news. We wait for bad news. How we wait and what we do in our waiting are some of the biggest opportunities for faith that we'll have. Right? And it's some of the biggest opportunities we'll have for revealing what's really in our heart. The woman had been waiting 12 years. We've talked about this a lot. She'd been waiting for 12 years to be healed. And then when we think about Jairus's experience, he had been waiting for his daughter to be healed. Then he waits on the shore with the crowd for Jesus to come back. Then he has that excruciating wait that maybe isn't too long. We don't know how long it is. But when J- Jesus is like, yes, I'll go. And he's like, great. Can you like transport me from here to there? Because we do not have time. <laughs> She's dying right now. He has to wait for the walk all the way to the house, you know. But then as he's waiting and starts to go to the house, this woman comes and touches Jesus and she gets healed. And so then Jesus turns and heals her and talks to her and Jairus has to wait for her healing and her experience, right? And in that waiting right there, he gets the bad news. He gets the worst news. And in that moment, he has a choice. How is he going to respond? How would you respond? Maybe you're a person who might wring their hands and get really anxious because things didn't go the way they were supposed to go and we got interrupted and now you're thinking, gosh, if, if I had just been here earlier, if I had just planned ahead or if I had just not been interrupted, you know, then maybe this wouldn't have happened and, You're thinking, this wasn't what I was expecting. God, what are you doing? What do I do now? Maybe you're a person who in that moment, you might start yelling at the woman because the pain is so great that your filter flies off and you take it out on her and you get hard-hearted against her and you get hard-hearted against the miracle that you just saw. And you think, gosh, that was supposed to be my miracle, Jesus. That was supposed to be mine. Or maybe you're a person who might just start distancing yourself from Jesus. The disappointment is so great, you're so upset, or you're in so much pain that you just distance yourself from Jesus for not caring for your needs over somebody else's needs. Or for not doing what you asked him to do in the time that you asked him to do it. And you think, oh, I thought you said you were coming to help, Jesus. Aren't my needs important too? I've definitely had all those responses and many, many more. And I think those responses are all examples of when we don't steward our waiting well. What are we going to do with that time? And friends, God is not calling us to any of those. He's calling us to a response of faith. A little bit a lot. It really doesn't matter (laughs) how much it is. He wants us to lean into believing him for greater things. We, he wants us to lean into him believing him for who he says he is and what he says he'll do. Because God can handle our difficult, he can handle our lament, he can handle, he can handle who we are right where we are. And as we grow as worshipers, will we respond in faith to him? Will we respond over, the t- over time, over the years, with more and more and more faith that he is worthy of? Will we say, for example, in Second Chronicles 20, verse 12, where it says, I don't know what to do, <laughs> but my eyes are on you, right? Will we lean into him in our difficulty and say, God, this is so hard, this is super hard, but take me back to the simple faith that I had when I first met you, when I first heard about you, remind me, like the psalmist says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Remind me of how this all started. Or we say, remind me of all the ways that you've already been faithful, that you've already done. And give me the faith to walk out now what I already believe about you. Just like the woman in the crowd in a room full of people worshiping like this. How many of us are gonna bump into Jesus and how many of us are gonna walk away different because we had faith when we did? One of the things that has, has helped my faith grow a lot is worship because when we worship, when we have these this attitude and, and these things that we've talked about a little bit tonight, we put our perspective of God where he belongs, we exalt him to that rightful place And we remind ourselves, like, where our situation is in light of that, where we are in light of that. And it's really helpful because sometimes that takes our eyes off of, like, how big our stuff seems, and it puts it on God. Sometimes it reminds us of the faithfulness he's already done in our lives and and the things he's done for us. And so one of the things um, that I've really held on to in seasons like that, seasons of waiting, seasons of disappointment, um, is this song called Miracle or Not. And if you haven't heard it, you should check it out. If you have heard it, it's the best. <laughs> this, this song really has been an anchor for me probably for the last three years in various times. And I just want to read the lyrics to you. It says, how long will I have to hear the stories of how you were able? How long will I have to celebrate the miracle that's not my own? How long will I lift my voice and sing again that you are always good when I'm feeling all this distance I thought I never would? How long? How long will I give myself before I give up waiting? How long will I have to hide behind the smile that says that I'm okay? How long will I hold on to the promises I thought I heard you speak when every passing day just leaves me broken down and weak? And here's one of the best answers I've ever heard for those very real, very hard questions. As long as it takes for my heart to find its song, as long as it takes to know I'm still not alone. And at the end of the day, I'll stand right here and say, I know that you love me, miracle or not. I will sing it till my broken heart believes it and I'll declare it till I smell the smoke of faith and with my hands held high I will scream it in the darkness till hope is finally louder than the ache as long as it takes for my heart to find its song as long as it takes to know I'm still not alone and at the end of the day I'll stand right here and say I know I know I know that you love me miracle or not And that, friends, is a really great example, really great example of what it looks like to worship God with faith amidst the waiting because he is worthy of it. He is worthy of the smoke of your faith when you can't quite get a full fire burning because he's the one that's going to spark that flame for you anyway. So just to close, here is a crucial foundation for our belief about worship. Worship is not about us, it's about God. Sure, for sure, God meets us in worship and for sure worship changes us and he wants us to engage with our whole self when we worship, that's all true. But (laughs) he is worthy of a generous response from us, not because we are generous people, but because of who he is and what he's done. He's worthy of a public response, even if I'm the most (laughs) introverted person on the planet, because it's not about me, it's about him. And he is worthy of a faith-filled response, not because we have tons of faith, not because we're coming to him with a hopeful disposition, but because he's already given us every reason to believe that he is trustworthy. So no matter what the condition of your heart is tonight, what you came in with, your tiny little matchstick of a flame of faith, with your fear and trembling and with your heartache, he will see you, he will help you, he will hear you. Because that's who he is and that's who he's always been and it's who he will always be. Second Timothy 2.13 says, if we are disloyal, he stays faithful because... He can't be anything else than what he is. And you can hold on to that. You can hold on to that. So he is worthy of our response, friends, of all these responses and more. So let's worship now. Let's worship the God who sees and hears and knows.